Chapter 4 of The Red Cross Girls with the Italian Army. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ashley Jane. The Red Cross Girls with the Italian Army by Margaret Vandercook. Chapter 4 Villa Felice Sonia and Nona drove out of the Roman gate toward the hill country surrounding Florence. They had arrived in Florence only a week before when the four Red Cross girls had immediately become members of the staff of the American Red Cross Hospital. Sonia, however, had been living alone in a quiet pension from whence most of the usual English, American and German guests had vanished at the entrance of Italy into the Great War. But now, on Nona's first afternoon of freedom, she and Sonia were on their way outside the city to search for a small villa which Sonia wished to rent for a few months. Nona leaned back in the rickety carriage. She looked a little pale, but her blue eyes were wide open and shining. Italy is rather overwhelming the more one sees of it, don't you think, Sonia? She demanded, gazing backward at the wide clear arch of the gate through which they had just passed, and then at the high-walled lane through which their carriage was slowly moving. Sonia leaned over and took her companion's hand. She seemed a good deal more rested than the younger girl. It has been a trying week for you, I have no doubt, Nona, attempting to get settled and to begin your nursing at the hospital, and I suppose to see as much of Florence as possible in your walks. That is why I have left you alone, and also to allow you to become more intimate with the other American nurses. I must not be selfish, but I rather wish you were to spend the next few months in idleness with me instead of so hard at work. It is the country in Italy that is so enchanting. Once one has seen all the great pictures and churches one can appreciate. Nona laughed. I never knew anyone so determined upon idleness, Sonia. But I must confess, I would not mind doing what you were planning if I did not feel that Red Cross nursing was my duty. Besides, I have already missed you dreadfully this past week and have hundreds of questions to ask you. For one thing, whatever became of my... of your young Italian singer for apparently he threw me over altogether for you after our arrival in Naples. Did he decide to go back to the United States after his inglorious beginning as a hero? Sonia had been watching the landscape as they drove out toward the exquisite hill country surrounding the city of Florence, which is said to be like a lily in the midst of a garden gay with flowers. Beyond them were the grey olive-clad hills and nearer the sloping vineyard country. Over the walls clambered the thin pale green vines of the roses that a little later were to make Italy a glory of bloom. Sonia frowned. 
don't take that superior tone, Nona. You have acquired it from your friend, Dr Latham, who may be an excellent physician, but whose sympathy I should never count upon in any disaster. You should have had enough experience with your nursing to know by this time that temporary cowardice means nothing, and particularly when one has the nervous temperament of an artist. Your young musician, not mine, is a soldier by this time, I have no doubt. He and I had a talk the morning before he left Naples. I told you he sent farewells. I assured him that we would be here in Florence for the summer, you girls at work and I taking advantage of my age by doing nothing. He has promised to let me hear from him later on, but only in case he distinguishes himself. Poor Carlo, I presume vanity is another sign of the artistic temperament, but I rather fear if he waits for fame as a soldier we shall never hear of him. However, I don't wish to talk of Carlo, Nona, but of my villa. Your villa? Nona smiled. She was not accustomed to seeing her companion appear so young or so gay as this past week in Italy seemed to have made her. I did not dream you had acquired a villa so soon, Sonia. I thought we were going only to look at one which is to let. What is the use of my being taken along to offer advice if you have already decided what you intend doing? Sonia opened her pocket-book to look at a card. But I have not acquired anything yet, Nona, except the name of the villa and of the family who appear disposed to allow someone else to occupy their place. I don't know why, I am sure, except that people tell me since the war in Italy began all the foreigners have been running away to their own countries until Italian property is about half its former value. Then why this particular villa, Sonia, instead of another? Nona inquired drowsily, not because she cared for any definite answer from her companion but because it amused her to go on talking idly when she was in a lovely state of relaxation from the strain of her work at the hospital and happy to be again with Sonia. There is no emotion of admiration and affection keener than the one a young girl is able to feel for an older woman, provided the older woman has charm and a wide experience of the world. Oh, for one reason, because I am charmed with the name of this villa. The Villa Felice, House of Happiness, would be the English translation. I wonder if that is a good omen for me. I have not lived in a house of happiness since I was a tiny girl and too young to realise what happiness meant. Perhaps that is why I am allowing myself to be lazy for a little while when I ought, of course, to be helping instead of loafing in lovely Italy. Nona slipped her hand inside the older woman's caressingly. Oh, I am not in the least sure you were going to be so idle as you planned, Sonia. I'd like to bet with you a lovely string of coral I saw today in a shop in the Ponte Vecchio. 
that before many weeks you will be more occupied with some kind of work for Italy, even though it is not nursing, than any of the rest of our party. Sonia shook her head. Don't try to excuse me in that way. But I do wish I knew how much English the Italian woman who is caretaker at the Villa Felice will know. It may be difficult for us to come to an agreement. Then, for another ten or fifteen minutes, neither of the two friends attempted to speak except for an occasional ejaculation. It was a warm day of the blue and gold of Italy. By and by the ancient cabman, who wore a top hat that looked as if it were used as a footstool or a trash basket when it was not serving as a hat, and a long blue coat down to his heels, turned from the long white lane through which she had been driving and entered a white stone gate. Rising on a row of terraces in front of them, Nona and Sonia could see the grey turrets of the villa which had been described as the Villa Felice. It was not a large house, but its size was what had particularly commended it to Sonia. She and Nona got out of their cab, asking the driver to wait for them, and walked up the white path to the house. The little villa had rather a pathetic, mysterious air, as if it had been deserted without understanding the cause. In the nearby garden there were small clumps of cypress trees and tall vases of beautiful Italian pottery. The Signa pottery in which were growing small orange and lemon trees. Sonia and Nona stood for a moment in silence on the piazza, almost as if they were listening for some unexpected noise. Then Sonia raised the knocker and, letting it fall again, the sound made both of them involuntarily jump. It was almost as if the noise echoed through an empty house. Sonia knew almost nothing in regard to the place she had come to see with the idea of renting it. A woman in the pension where she was boarding in Florence had recommended the villa to her. It had been the property of an acquaintance of hers who had died just before the outbreak of the war. Later Sonia had seen the agent who explained that the house was in charge of a caretaker and made an appointment for her visit. Therefore, as a matter of fact, the house could not be so deserted as it appeared. Moreover, the moment after her knocking, Sonia, and of course Nona, heard the reverberation of footsteps along the hall. Sonia had been told that the caretaker was a woman, an old servant who had lived for many years with the former mistress. But the footsteps sounded as if they belonged to a man. Both the newcomers felt a little nervous. Italy was an unknown country to both of them, and there was no one in sight. Even their former cabman, whom they had left at the bottom of the hill, had disappeared. Moreover, these were war times, 
and although they seemed at this moment far removed from any kind of conflict, there is not the same sense of security in any country engaged in war. Nona, who did not feel herself particularly courageous in spite of her Red Cross experiences, put her hand lightly on her companion's arm, perhaps with the idea of mutual protection, just as the front door opened. However, they need not have been frightened, for the figure they now beheld behind the open door was a woman's, and yet as like a man's as her footsteps had suggested. In a land where most of the peasant women were small and plump, Nanina was nearly six feet high, lean and flat of chest. She had deep-set dark eyes and a prominent nose like a Caesar's. She did not appear like an ordinary servant. Both Sonia and Nona were immediately impressed by her strange manner and bearing. She spoke a little English and gave her name, announcing that the two visitors were expected. Then, without wasting more time, she started on a sight-seeing pilgrimage of the house. Yes, I have been living here twenty years she replied in answer to a question from Nona. The Donna Elisabetta, who is now dead, and Nanina crossed herself. She and I were girls at the same time. But if the Italian serving woman was at present living in the Villa Felice, there was nothing about the looks of the house, except its cleanliness, to suggest the fact. Everywhere it seemed dark and empty and cold. Nevertheless, when Nanina unbolted and opened the windows of the drawing-room, both Nona and Sonia uttered exclamations of pleasure. Neither one of them had ever seen a room of just the same character. The windows were leaded and arched and had low iron railings outside. The room itself was long and narrow with a high ceiling and the walls were of plaster, pale yellow in colour, and hung with old pieces of tapestry. There was an oval mirror with a Florentine frame above the white Italian marble mantel. And on either side hung a portrait of a young girl. One picture must have been painted when she was about sixteen the other when several years older. Then, upon the mantelpiece, in heavy bronze frames, one under each of the portraits, were the photographs of two Italian boys. Nona found herself studying the two portraits and the two photographs, while Sonia made a more careful survey of the ancient beautiful furniture of the drawing-room. Could you imagine any more lovely place to rest and dream than this little house, Nona? Sonia insisted, walking over and glancing out the window at the cypress-crowned row of terraces below her and at the blue rim of the Apennines in a far circle beyond. But of course one must allow more air and sunshine to enter the house. 
Nona frowned, not altogether sympathetically. She was tired and fighting a certain amount of envy, almost a condemnation of Sonia for planning to enjoy the peace of the quiet villa instead of being engaged in some form of relief work. It was true she had agreed with Sonia that she had earned a right to rest, while she herself kept on with her Red Cross work. But at present Nona could not help feeling that she was being the more virtuous in refusing Sonia's invitation to give up nursing and work in some quieter, less strenuous fashion here at the Villa Felice. For it seemed to both of them a foregone conclusion that Sonia would rent the villa as soon as they started up the terrace and had the first view of the house. But aren't there any members of the Italian family left who formerly owned this place? Nona inquired, almost as if she resented its desertion. Surely your beautiful Donna Elisabetta did not live here alone before her death. The tall woman, who looked more like a grenadier than a maid, was drawing her hand softly over a carved table to see if it held a speck of dust. But at Nona's inquiry, she nodded toward the mantel. Yes, there are two sons. The Signor Paolo and the Signor Eugenio Zoli. I look after this place for them. It is they who wish it rented. Isn't there a girl in the family? Whose portraits are these? Nona demanded, glancing up over the mantel, her curiosity still unsatisfied. There was no reason why her question should make anyone angry, unless the Italian woman resented any curiosity in regard to her family. For in Italy there is so strong a feudal feeling that the servants of a house, if they have been a part of it for sufficiently long, feel themselves members of the same family. Nona was continuing to gaze toward the portraits after her speech, so she did not notice that the peasant woman turned a deep crimson and that her eyes flashed with unexpected temper. But Sonia did observe her. The portraits are of the Donna Elisabetta. There are no daughters in the family. She returned sullenly. Apparently Nona was not to be discouraged. What has become of the sons then? Why do they wish to give up so charming a place? She queried, showing more interest than good manners by her continuing questions. The serving woman crossed herself again. They are at the war. Where else should they be? She returned. But this time, although she spoke good-naturedly, Nona appreciated that her question had been both unnecessary and absurd. But then she had imagined the two boys whom she had seen in the photographs were of the ages their pictures represented. As she followed the two older women out of the drawing-room to look over the other part of the villa, Nona made up her mind to remain quiet during the rest of their investigation of the house. After all, the villa was to be Sonia's and not hers. 
Afterwards they went together into the dining room and later upstairs into three bedrooms. These rooms were not attractive. The rugs were old and the curtains faded and colourless and the furniture dilapidated. Two of the rooms had evidently belonged to the young men in the family. The third, which was the largest, was evidently the apartment of the former mistress of the villa. I think I will have this room for mine, Nona, Sonia whispered. I'll not be extravagant, but it will not take much money to make these bedrooms at least ordinarily pretty and livable. Which do you wish for yours? As Sonia made this remark, she chanced to be standing at the entrance to one of the rooms. Across the small hall was another door, which had not been opened. Nanina was inside one of the further rooms, adjusting a fallen curtain. Without appreciating that she was doing anything she should not, and, of course, supposing the house to be empty, Sonia suddenly stepped across the hall and turned the knob of an unexplored room. Then she moved back with an exclamation of surprise and apology. Nona was immediately behind her, but Sonia stood still. This room was also a bedroom, but utterly different in its furnishings from the others. The walls of this room were painted a deep rose colour. There were little white curtains at the odd-shaped windows. The bed had a fine white cover over it, and the little table and dresser had tall brass candlesticks filled with fresh white candles and standing in the centre of the room, in a quaint old-fashioned dress, Nona saw one of the prettiest girls she had ever beheld in her life. She looked as if she were only about fourteen or fifteen. Instead of being dark, as one imagines all Italians to be, she had long fair hair as light as Nona's, but her eyes were very soft and black with shadowy lashes. She made a little curtsy to Sonia. I am sorry if I frightened you, she began, speaking perfect English, but looking very shy and frightened herself. My mother told me to remain in here. She said the American ladies would not look into this room and later, if they took the villa, I could move away without troubling them. Your mother? Nona found herself repeating stupidly. They had seen no one who could possibly be the mother of this exquisite girl. End of chapter 4 Recording by Ashley Jane